may especially impact parents as they are raising their children in the Lord. All these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, um, last we are continuing our series about godly parenting. And um, it's not just for parents, but it's, uh, it's truth, right? All these things that we're going to discuss is applicable to all Christians everywhere. But we're especially gearing these sermons to parents. Last week, we talked about, right, the greatest need that, your, that our children have is for them to have eternal life. That's the greatest need. And once again, review, eternal life, if you, if you translate that into Hebrew, it is age, it's called age unto life. Eternal life is not a state where you live forever. Eternal life is a period of, period of existence where people live under God's terms. Right? Eternal life, age onto life, age is period onto life, is called period of life. And in the period of life, when we live that period of life in God's terms, we start to generate fruit, and we start to experience healing in our lives. Jesus has come to give us eternal life, which means Jesus has come to save people who once lived lives based upon their own standards and their own terms and transform them into people who live their lives on God's terms. Okay? Look, I'm a horrible, like, when I bought my house and I showed my picture on my house to my dad, my dad said, who's going to take care of all the lawn? Right? Because, I'm a, I'm a, we, we, because I was raised in Korea. I'm an apartment fellow. I'm a, I, I feel comfortable in concrete jungle. Green things make me scared. I'm scared of green things. Right? So I do the bare minimum. I outsource everything to, my, to the people of Ruli Escapes. Right? And the only thing that I really do Right, like so, like so. Even though I outsource it, I see my grass dying in the summer, and I said, "Who? Why are the grass dying in the summer?" So I asked my gardener, "Why is it? Why is it dying in the summer?" He says, "Are you watering it?" I go, "No," oh, because that's why. Did you know you have to water grass in the summer? Did you know that? No, is it just me? Okay, chalata, right? <laughs> so I start watering it, and you know what happens when you water it? Like these dead flowers that are in my yard, they start blooming. Do you know this? Wow. So that's what eternal life is, right? Like when, like when you live life based upon on God's terms, in, in, in God's reality, when you realize you're living in God's word and God's reality, your dead spirits begin to bloom and sprout life. But the farther you live away from God's reality, you're like my lawn in the summer. You wither and die. So the greatest thing that you and I need and the greatest thing that your children need is to live under the reality of God so that their spiritual life can blossom, so that their souls can blossom. No amount of money, no amount of education can blossom their souls. It doesn't. It just doesn't work. 
I'm surrounded by people as rich as, as you can be, as powerful as you can be. And let me here tell you, as a witness to these important people with important degrees and important positions, there's no amount of anything that can blossom their spirits as God does, as, as God can. That's why your children need eternal life. And parents, your calling, your el numero uno calling in life is to be used by God as a vessel to bring forth eternal life to your children. Once again, God, your, our number one responsibility that God has given us regarding our children is to be used as vessels of God to bring about eternal life into your children. God has not called the youth group teacher to do this, nor the Sunday school teacher to do this. The church helps, definitely. But parents... There is no one in the world who, who, who sees your kids as much as you do, nor do you have, are there a group of people who have that intimate connection as you have with your children. There's no one exists in the world that, that have connection to your children as you do. Therefore, you're the number one vessel to bring about eternal life, on, to be used by God to bring about eternal life to your children. How do you do that? How do, what does God, how do we, how are we to be used by God to bring eternal life to our children? We need to discipline our children. To be used by God, we need to discipline our children. When you look at the Bible, the Bible doesn't call parents to give our children the most amazing childhood imaginable. It doesn't call us, the Bible doesn't call us to spoil them, to, you know, to expose them to the best things in life. That's not the parent's primary calling. The parent's primary calling is to discipline our children. The word discipline in Greek, it means, uh, what does it mean? I have all this trouble. It means pata, pata, patagia, patagia. Does it? Yeah. Patadia, patadia. Basically, the word patadia means is to train. It's the idea of training. It's the idea of training a young person onto maturity. The word discipline in Greek means training a young child so that they will grow up to be a mature person. Right? That's what it means. So discipline involves two things. Number one, it means it involves teaching and instruction. To discipline someone, number one, the first thing to do is you need to teach. Teach and instruct the young person. The second aspect of discipline, not only is teaching, but discipline also involves reprimanding and chastising, rebuking. You're rebuking the young person so that they will grow up into maturity. You cannot, a young person cannot grow into a mature person if we just allow them to continue on with their sins. By their natural nature, by their nature, a child is still a person who is away from God. And as a result, the child will show tendency to rebel against the parent and God. 
And they will do things that are harmful to the child and to the people around them. So as parents, disciplining also means reprimanding, correcting, rebuking when children show, commit acts that are destructive to themselves and to the people around them. So discipline means, number one, teaching and instructing. And number two, it means to reprimand, rebuke, and correct for the improper behavior. These are the two ways that God uses parents so that their parents can lead children into eternal life. Are you with me so far? All right. So these are some of the, you know, you know I, I, I use ChatGPT. ChatGPT. What is the biblical way of disciplining your children? And ChatGPT spewed up four things. So I'm quoting ChatGPT here, but I, I incorporated, obviously, biblical truth to it. So what is ChatGPT? And biblically, what is the first thing that is involved in disciplining your children? Number one, you need to discipline children means you need to love and nurture your children. Before correcting, before reprimanding, the first thing that you constantly need, not the first thing, but the thing that we always need to constantly show our children is that we, care, we truly love them and we want to nurture them. And you say, no, duh, of course we love our kids, man. Right? Have you seen the monthly activity bills? Do you know how much money I'm spending on my children? In teaching them various things. Man, do you know how much money I spend or my wife spends on training Charlotte on the violin? It's crazy. Right? I could buy a yacht with it. Right? So rather than by me being me buying a yacht, I pour all that yacht money to Charlotte's violin. And that's, you know, obviously that's how I love my child, right? That's one of the ways in which we love our child. But the Bible's definition of loving your children is not provoking them. Ephesians chapter, chapter 6, verse 4, Paul says, after Paul talks about husbands should love their wives and love should submit to their husbands, Paul says, parents, especially fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. So the way you love your children is to not provoke them to anger. You know? This is what we're going to talk about next week, so stay tuned, right? Those of you watching, like three of you that are watching, stay tuned for next week. And we're going to discuss this in more detail. But as a preview, I'm saying the way you love your children biblically is not to provoke them to anger. And as parents, you know that's easier said than done because we can so easily provoke our children to anger. Why are, like, you know, what, what provoking your children to anger means, ultimately, what it ultimately means is don't be a cause of your children, don't be a cause for your children to rebel and run from Christ. Do not provoking your children means do not live in such a way where because of you, children will not want to accept Christ. I hear from parents who are my age with college kids. They say, I can't believe 
why my children are refusing to go to church. When they're under my roof, they went to church occasionally. Not regularly, occasionally they went to church. And now they're in college, and when, they're in, when they hit 18, they don't want to go to church anymore. It's a real thing for people my age. Children who refuse to go to church. And there are many reasons why children don't go to church. But then one of the often things that I hear is children telling their parents, why would I want to go to church? Because I see the way you guys live. The constant bickering and fighting. And the hypocrisy. You guys say that you're believers, mom and dad. You tell me to go to church, mom and dad. But I see the way you're living. I don't want to be a Christian if I'm going to be like you. You're provo- they're provoking their children so that the children don't want to do anything with Christianity because of their parents. Paul is saying, don't do that. You provoke, your, you, you provoke your kids by living hypocritically. You can provoke your kids by lording over them. You can, prov- you can provoke your kids by giving them unrealistic expectation. You can provoke your kids for lack of parenting, not getting involved in their spiritual life at all. When we do these things, children don't feel loved and nurtured. They just feel resentful. I know you're doing your best you can. I know you are doing your best, best job you can. But if you're not mindful of your sins in your relationships, and if you're not constantly communicating kindness and truth to your children, you're going to provoke them. You know why a lot of pastor kids are kind of messed up? It's because I think a lot of them, as I observe, first-generation pastor kids, the parents just force religion on them. You need to do this, you need to do this, you need to be that, you need to do this. It's just an order from top down, like a commanding officer. They don't feel loved. In their minds, Christianity is just Bible reading, if Christianity comes down to reading the Bible, even though I don't want to read the Bible. Christianity comes down to going to church, even though I don't want to go to church. Christianity is like forcing me to pray, even though I don't want to pray. They're just forcing me to do this. That's provoking your children. I will speak more of this next week. It's going to be fun next week. I'll, I'll speak more of this next week. So number one way that you nurture, your, that you disciple your children is to love them by not provoking them. Second thing, that you, second way that you disciple your children is you disciple your children by teaching and instructing them. Look, our children, like all human beings, they want an explanation of the world. They really do. When your kids are little, your children goes, what's that? What's that? What's that? Or you explain to them, why is the sky blue? Oh, because it's a refraction of, you know, the water. Da, da, da. And they'll go, oh, why? 
And then you explain, oh, because the atmosphere is this way. Why? They always want to know why. They're curious. The kids are curious. They want to know why the things are the way they are. But it doesn't, but this desire to know objective truth, this desire to know truth, it stays with every human being even as they grow old. How do you know? The Joe Rogan experience, my gosh, Joe Rogan, the number one podcast in the world, is a three-hour conversation about various topics like aliens and MMA and conspiracy theories and anti-vax conspiracy theories, all that stuff, right? People are into it. Especially men love Joe Rogan. Why? Because if you listen to Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan seems to be telling the truth. People are just have their ears open because they want to know the truth. Everyone wants to know what truth is, what life is about, who they are, who other people are, what the purpose of life is. Since from the toddler until the old man in the, about to go to his grave, they want to know what life is. They want to know what truth is. They want to know who they are. They want to know what the other people are. They want to know what the right thing to do is. It's a human desire. And we're like that because God has made us into people of truth. Because we're made in the image of God, the desire to know the truth, the desire for explanation is innate in us. We can only grow up to be mature individuals when we grow up being exposed to the truth. Do you understand? That's why your job as parents, you are the number one explainer of truth to your children. That's what your job is. They want to know what the world is. You need to explain it to them. And I need to explain it to to my children. You explain it, the narrative of the Bible. That's what you need to do. Proverbs 3, verse 1 through 4. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Proverbs says, in order for children to thrive, they need to remember the commandments of God, day in and day out. That is the pathway to their prosperity. Harvard is not the, prosper- is not the pathway to their prosperity because Harvard is racist. Amen? Asian people? That's right. Being a partner in a law firm certainly is not a way to spiritual prosperity. I know. pathway to prosperity is the commandments of God written in your hearts. Who is God going to use to instill the commandment in you, in them? Parents, you. You. Sunday school, yes, youth group, great. Primarily, you. 
But I am not just called, God is not just calling us to just have a regular Bible study session with them, which is very important, by the way. Having a regular Bible study session with the kids is really, really important. But the teaching is more than that. How do we know? Deuteronomy chapter 6, it says, what it says? Love, it says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be, to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Teaching is more than just having a Bible study session, which is important, by the way. But teaching happens as you live life. That's what it says. Talk to them when, when you're at home, when you walk on the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. It means you teach constantly as you live your daily life with your children. That's how you're supposed to teach them. How are you to be a person who constantly teach your children about God every day on a regular basis? In order for you to do this, you need to be a person who loves the Lord with all your heart, with all your, with all your, with all your soul, with all your strength. Which means... Loving the Lord with heart, soul, strength, like I said last week, it's about God has, your life has to revolve around God. Your heart has to revolve around God. Your mind has to revolve around God. And when it does, you cannot help but to teach your children about God. Look, parents teach their kids what they're obsessed with. Let's be honest. That's what we talked about on Friday's small group. Look, the reason why I, am, I cannot help but to think about what I wear is because ever since I was a wee child, my mom took me, every time my mom would go out, she would do a fashion show, she would say. She would get dressed for an hour. She has two rooms full of her clothing. None of my childhood pictures, by the way. Clothes after clothes. I'm not bitter at all, right? And she, was te- 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 she said, how do I look? How do I look? Does, it, does this go with that? Does this go with that? Right? I'm trained to look at women's clothing. I'm not bitter at all. But that's why ever since I was a child, like the way people dress, it just, I'm just notice it because that's what my mom shared with me. Why do your children belong to like a fan of sports that, that you are a fan of, fathers? It's because they come into an independent objective analysis that that sports team is the best sports team in the world? No, because you, Dad, told your son, this is our team. The child doesn't have any choice. This is our team, son. Okay, Dad, that's our team. And from that moment on, it's his team. You teach your children, whether you like it or not, what you're obsessed about. I know one person whose life's pain is the fact that they never went to the Ivy League. So they want their children to go to the Ivy League. They do all they can to, to make sure that his kids went to the Ivy League. And guess what, to his, guess what happened to his kids? They didn't go to the Ivy League. So what happens? The next generation, his grandkids, now he wants his grandkids to go to the Ivy League. You teach your kids what you're obsessed about. 
You know, if you're obsessed about God, if you are a man and a woman who constantly revolves around God and your mind is, mind is growing in the knowledge of God, you cannot help but interpret life through the lens of God. And that's how you teach your kids. This is very useful stuff, by the way. You can take notes. Very useful. You should teach them. When you're lying down, when you're getting up, when you're walking, teach them. So that you, God can use you as an influence to instill solid truth in the minds of your children. Third thing, first thing, don't provoke your children. Second thing, teach them always. Third thing, you need to correct and discipline. Proverbs 13, 24, it states, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but who loves him is diligent to discipline him. The rod the proverb is talking about is a long stick made out of metal or wood. And you use that rod to corporately punish your children. That's what it means in Proverbs 13.24. This isn't saying you should beat your kids. It's not saying you should beat your kids. I don't think I've ever... My kids are very reasonably minded. I verbally, we communicate, and my children get it. But some children, they don't get it. Some children, this is being recorded, right? In a most legally permissible, non-assaulting type of way, right? Right? You should instill certain physical reprimands in order for your children to be persuaded of objective, valuable lessons. God bless lawyers. Right? But you get the point. Now, when we think about corporal punishment, using the rod to discipline children, we think, oh, okay, my children mess up, let's go, let's, let's beat, beat them with the, with, the, with the rod. That's not what the Bible is saying. The rod should rod, whether it's a physical rod or whether it is taking their iPhones away or whether it is sending them to their room for a quiet time. I don't know what it is. Whatever means of discipline that you use, it is to be used not for punishment per se, but as an instrument of teaching. Sometimes in Korean, sometimes. Some children, you can tell truth to them, you can explain truth to them, but they're not going to listen. They're going to do things that will be hurtful to them and to the people around them. They do it because they're little rebels, right? I think, I think some, one, of, one of the parents told me that he, he realizes man's original sin by looking at his two-year-old son. Sometimes he looks at his two-year-old son and he knows that the son knows what the right thing to do is and the son just chooses not to do it. I look at my boy, he's two, and I can see the analysis in the kid's brain. He knows what to do, but he just doesn't do it. He defies me. I go, yeah, amen, brother. Your kids do that. They defy you and they defy God. And... You need to discipline. We need to discipline them. 
so that they will see the consequence of their sins. The best, one of the best ways for them to see the consequence of their sins, to know right from wrong, is to know the wrong action brings about consequences. And that's why you need to discipline, we need to discipline our children. You can't punish them out of anger. Right? I mean, obviously, anger is part of it because you, you, they upset you. But there's a difference between punishing them only because they made you angry and punishing them because you want to know that you want to teach them valuable truth. So when you punish them for whatever reason, whatever means that you use, we also would always need to go and explain explain why you're punishing them. You need to explain it to them. That's part of instruction. When I get angry at my children, I don't because they're perfect, right? But what I do, I always strive to explain why I got upset. You need to teach them. Using the rod is also, it's just, it, if you just use the rod, because when I, I hope my mom's not watching, sometimes my mom hit me with a wooden spoon, right? Because I did bad. And like I think the, the, the earliest memory is I, I, I cursed at my mom and she got a wooden spoon and beat me, stripped me naked and threw me out of the house in, in, the, in a cold January, winter, in, the, in a cold day in January. And she had me and after like 10 minutes she brought me back and she says, go right, I will not curse at my mom a hundred times. And I did that. And that was the end of the lesson. That was the end of the lesson. And the lesson is, oh, I, didn't, I should never curse at my mom. But, is that, but that's not, I hope my mom's not watching. And I think what my mom did was necessary and good, right? But she needed to explain things in a more comprehensive way. What my sin is and what my son sin did, did to her and why it's wrong. You need to do that, parent. Okay? Having children are great. Young people have many children as possible. It's fantastic. But it's a lot of work. Fourthly, the way you discipline your children is you've got to ask God for wisdom. James chapter 5, is it James chapter 1, one 5 says, If you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generous, generous, generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Promises of James 1.5 is, if you like wisdom, pray to God. He will give it to you. I absolutely believe in this. This is the experience of my life. I constantly go to God and say, I have no idea how to love my kids. I have no idea how to love my wife. I have no idea how to love embrace. I, there's a problem that I'm going through today. I said, I have no idea how to do this. And God constantly provides me with wisdom of how to do the various things in my life, how to better love my wife and my children and you guys. I cannot live without God constantly feeding me wisdom. So do you. You need to be constantly 
fed by the wisdom of God by praying to him about it. If you say, I got this. I can raise my children on my own because I got this. Then I'm sorry to say with all due respect, you're a fool. And you're, you're treading on dangerous ground. Your children's sinfulness is so, so deep and broken so that there's no way that you can train them on your own strength. Okay? So every day, daily, you will mess up. You will. I mess up. Right? I messed up yesterday. We will mess up. But when you ask God for wisdom to love your family members and your church members especially, he will give it to you. And you need to do this. Also, seeking God's counsel not only means praying and asking God for wisdom, but seeking God's counsel in raising your children, you also need the church. You also need to express your concerns and your pain about your children to the church so that we can counsel you and pray for you. This is what happened on Friday. I'm not going to say Friday I went to a small group and I didn't even expect this. And Sean and her on what we're talking about. We were talking about this sister and what she's going through with her children. And all of us are listening to her and, and like just giving her advice and counsel and praying for her. And that, that made her feel good that on that front. She was so discouraged. But during our conversation, I think it encouraged her. And hopefully that encouragement will translate over to the way she, you know, the way she, you know, loved her children. But that's the way it should be. You cannot just do it on your own. You should seek the advice of the church. You know? Look, my children are way older than your children. And I've been through it. Right? Ask me. I'm not going to give you answers, but I can certainly give you encouragement. Because what you're going through, you're not alone. You're really not alone. I went through. Every parent goes through the same thing. Seeking God's counsel through the church, that's what you need to raise your children. These are the ways in which we discipline our children. But like back to my previous point, but the way we become better discipler of children is we ourselves need to be disciplined by God. And that's what Hebrews chapter 12 is talking about. Finally, we get to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 is about God disciplining his people. Right? Like I said in the beginning of the service, God is our Abba Father. Jesus, when he teaches us how to pray, in the Lord's Prayer, he said, we should call God our Father who is in heaven. Romans chapter 8, 15, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit, the Holy Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by the spirit, we cry, Abba, Father, which means God is our Abba, Father. This is theologically very important because the fact that the fact that God is our father means 
we're now, we can commune with the Trinity. Remember, before existence, God is Trinity, right? God's a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is this intimate love and fellowship that the three persons in the Trinity have for one another. And when Jesus says, you're adopted children of God, he means now we can commune with the Trinity. Before, it was God, Father, God, the Son, God, the Spirit, communing with each other, loving and fellowshipping with each other. Now, in Christ, we get to commune with God because God becomes our Father. Look, my daughter doesn't knock when she comes to my office. My daughter just lies down on, the, on, the, on my desk and she just talks sometimes. There is no distance between me and my daughter. Because I'm her dad. That's how God is for you and for me. And our Abba Father, just like you want, want what's best for your children, God our Father wants be- what is best for us. Every parent or every sane parent want what is best for their children. God wants what is best for us. Listen to me carefully. The reason why we doubt the love of God is not because God doesn't love us. We doubt the love of God because His definition of what is best for us and our definition of what is best for us, they're two different things. Our definition of what is best for us is primarily through materialistic means. Materialism doesn't mean you love money and things. That's not what it means. Materialism means you define your life primarily through the things that you can see. Materialism is defining your life primarily in the things that you experience and and see and possess in this world. That's what materialism is. Defining life only in terms of things you can see, feel, and touch. Our definition of what is best for us is if we have wealth or security or comfort primarily through materialistic means. If our business goes well, if our children are healthy, if our jobs are successful, we think that's what is best for us. We really do. But God's definition of us, best for us, is not defined by materialistic things. It is based on spiritual maturity. God knows what is best for us is not material. It is immaterial. It is spiritual. What does God, what is, what does God want from us? Verse 10. God disciplines us so that we may share in his holiness. In the mind of God, what is best for us? is for us to share in His holiness. What is the holiness? Holiness means the character of God. God knows what is best for you and me is for us to be more like Him. Because things are not like Him, those are the things that hurts us. For example, let's say, what are some of the common attributes of God that we discussed? Number one, we say God is truth. We say God is love. The love of God in Greek is agape. It's sacrificial love. Okay? So we are the people. God is truth. God is agape. God 
hates what is evil, and loves what is good. These are the examples of an attributes of God. God is truth. God is love. God hates evil. He is good. He loves the good. You know what our problem is? We're not like God. And that's what hurts us. For example, God is truth. What plagues us is the half-truth and the lies that are permeating in our brains. For example, I listened to an interview with a stand-up comedian. Makes millions of dollars. As famous as famous, famous can be. And he says, I live in fear. Because when I text someone, if the te- and if the person doesn't respond to my text immediately, I fear that that person that I texted doesn't like me or talking bad about me. He's a multimillionaire, as famous as famous can be. But if someone doesn't respond to his sex immediately, his mind starts to tell him, that person doesn't like you, that person is, is talking bad about you, you are worthless. He struggles with that. You know who else struggles with that? Teenage girls struggle with that. Just teenage girls, do you not struggle with that? Does a person not like you because they don't respond to text to you? When you send me text, sometimes I don't know what to say. But in our minds, oh, that person doesn't like me. These are lies and half-truths. So many lies and half-truths in floating in our heads that makes us depressed and anxious and just, ooh, making lose our peace. You need to be a person of truth. Your mind needs to be constantly be, 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 be like enlivened to the truth. To be like God means to be a person of truth. To be like God means to be a person of agape. Do you know why your relationships suffer? Because people don't want to love each other like God loves us. People don't want to agape each other. People don't want to... To, people don't want to sacrifice themselves for the sake of the other person. We think we're that type of person, but when we're actually in a relationship with that person, it's a pre po right? Like, I give, you give, I give, you take. It's like that kind of a thing. We don't, we're, really, we're really bad at unconditional love. When the person makes me mad or makes not acceptable, I'm going to hurt them and say awful things to them. Because they need to pay. You know what I'm talking about? Our relationships are miserable because we're not like God. We're not self-sacrificing for the other. We think, oh, if you sacrifice for me, then I'm going to sacrifice you. That's not unconditional love. Because we're far from it. Our relationships suffer. The relationship in the entire world suffers. God hates evil and loves what is good. Do you know why you're struggling with your sins? Because you love evil and don't want to do what is good. Let's be honest. Oh, my mother didn't love me. I'm broken. So I act up my brokenness through the sin. Baloney. It's someone else's fault that I'm a sinner. No, 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 no. You're a sinner because you love what is evil. And don't really like what is good. It's all about appetites. 
I'm, I'm, I'm yelling because I'm yelling it to myself. We're the farthest thing from God. That's why we're, hurt, we're hurting. And the people around us are hurting. That's why God says, what is best for my children? Are for them to be like me. Your material things does not give you what you really need, which is to be like him. And the way that God brings about holiness in us is through discipline. God teaches us, God instructs us. He's doing that to you right now. He does that. But our God also lets you go through things that are quite painful to bring about holiness in you. What is going on when, when the writers, what is going on in the book of Hebrews? What is going on? The book of Hebrews is written for Jewish Christians in the Roman Empire, and they're being persecuted. But the persecution that they're receiving is not that of life and death. That's why they're not getting getting killed yet. That's why the writer says, you have not suffered to the point of death, which means the writer is saying, you guys aren't being killed for your faith, but you guys are still being suffering because of your faith. What is the suffering that these Christians are going through when the writer wrote this Hebrews? The suffering that they're going through was Christians, the emperor, I forget who the emperor was, the emperor of Rome during this time, kicked the Christians out of Rome. For, the, for them, these Christians were living in Rome. Rome is where they raise their families. Rome is where they have their jobs. Rome was their life. But the emperor kicked them out of Rome. They don't have remote work, right? It's a brick and mortar business they have. And the emperor says kicking them out means the emperor is taking, taking away their life, their livelihood. So these people are poor now. And the Jewish community generally supports one another. If they get kicked out of one city, they can go to another city. Like there's a Koreatown anywhere, right? If you get kicked out of Fairfax, Virginia, I'll go to Alaska. I'll go to a Korean Koreatown in Alaska and I'll start my life there. No big deal. That's how... People of same ethnicity, culture, take care of each other. But these guys were Christians. And they were Jewish Christians. And if you're a Christian, the Jewish community turned their backs against towards you. They kick you out of their community because you are blaspheming against the Jewish religion. So these Christians, these Jewish Christians in Rome, they're being kicked out of Rome. And they literally have nowhere to go. Because the other Jewish people won't welcome them. Other places in the Roman Empire won't welcome them. What is there to do? They have nothing. And they're thinking, what's the point of me believing? If I don't have things, if I, don't have, if I can't feed my family, what's the point of believing in Jesus Christ? So they're questioning the love of God. Paul says, no, the writer says, you're tempted to, believe, to leave the faith because of this. But remember, God is using this 
to discipline you. God is using this to bring about holiness in you. He's doing it because he's treating you as legitimate sons and not illegitimate sons. Look, in the Roman Empire, guys had relationships with women outside of their wives. And they had many, many different illegitimate children. But there's a difference between the way a Roman guy treats his true children and the way he treats his illegitimate children. Do you know how he treats his illegitimate... The people in the Roman Empire, the way they treat their illegitimate children is, you know what they do? They just give them money. And let the kids, if you're well enough, you just give your illegitimate children money so that your illegitimate children can live physically. And, that's, and they're not involved in the life of the illegitimate children at all. It's just primarily a material transaction. You want money? Here's money for you. But true sons, Romans' fathers, take their, if, if they're his true sons, he treats, he makes those sons go through training. Training similar to, Roman, to, to the slaves. They're really harsh and they subject their children to really grueling training so that the, so that the kids will grow up to be mature citizens who can take care of the family. Illegitimate children, fathers say, here's money. Do whatever you want. Here's my money. Do whatever you want. That's illegitimate children. True children. The fathers train them in suffering, in training, so they will become mature. God is saying, God is not just an illegitimate father to you who just gives you what you need. That's the point. True father, because you're true children, God allows you to go through suffering. Because suffering you know what suffering does? It reveals your nature. There's nothing like suffering to reveal what you're really about. There's nothing like suffering to reveal what you, tr- what you truly love. There's nothing like suffering to reveal you're damaged. And when we see these things, God uses these things to bring about holiness. There's no figure in the Bible who didn't go through this harsh physical training, these harsh disciplines. Be it Abraham, be it Samson, be it David, anyone, if you look at their lives, their lives were filled with pain and suffering. But through their pain and suffering, it reveals God to them and it reveals their sins to them so they'll depend upon God more. Look, in my life, I'm almost done. In my life, I had a lot of suffering. A lot of suffering. Suffering, but what every suffering revealed to me was, it revealed to me my idols. The things that I lost, the things that God taken away, it reveals my idols. When I begin to see my idols, I repent. And when I repent, God restores his knowledge in my heart. You need, we need to go through discipline and pain to see our sins so that we will go to God. That's why God allows discipline. If you're not a son, God says, here's some money. Here's some success. Here's a good business for you. Have at it. If he's primarily blessing you only through material means and not spiritual, you're, not an, illeg- you're, you're, you're an illegitimate child and not a true son. 
So as we go through this, guys, are you, are you, do you, have, you have pain and suffering right now? I feel like a personal injury lawyer. Do you have pain and suffering? Right? The law offices of J. Lee can, right? But if you have pain and suffering, he's disciplining you. He is. Whether it's your fault or there's someone else's fault, he's disciplining you. Don't waste this opportunity of his discipline. Ask him, what are you trying to reveal to me? What are you trying to teach me? Use it to bring out holiness in me. He will show it to you. So that you can grow in holiness. And as you grow in holiness, parents especially, as you grow in holiness, you can be a more effective discipler of your children. That's how it works. Sorry that I went five minutes longer than I thought. Let's pray. Are you going through suffering and trials right now? You're going through it because God loves you and God disciplines his children. He is allowing you to go through this so that he can use it to bring about spiritual maturity, holiness in you. Let us take time to thank God for the sufferings in our life. I know it's painful. I know it's scary. But let's take this time to remember that God promises to give you what is best and this suffering is leading you to your best. Let's thank God for that right now and let's ask God to give you the proper perspective to interpret your suffering in a proper way so that the suffering will, be a, will not be a source of just grief, but a source of thanksgiving. And also ask God to give you the wisdom to endure the suffering. Let's pray for these things and we'll continue.